Morning, Brookside. <clears throat> Great to see you. I, too, want to welcome you. If you're a, a guest here with us, I know many of you are, are traveling, and I uh, hope you're having a, a good Fourth of July weekend. Christine and I were commenting, it, it kind of felt like a war zone we were going to sleep in the other night, you know? <clears throat> but uh, I hope you're having <clears throat> just a great Fourth of July weekend. I want to tell you uh, to start off about something new that's coming. We're going to be starting a new series next weekend. And uh, in this new three-part series, it's called, it's called Stuck. And uh, we're going to be talking for three weeks about <clears throat> what do you do when you're in your relationship with God? What do you do <clears throat> when you come to places where you get stuck? What do you do when you come to the place where you really lack forward progress, like you really hope that you would have? Where do you turn? What do you do? Um, how do you get unstuck? That's what we're going to talk about for, <clears throat> for those three weeks. And so would encourage you to uh, even think about inviting a friend uh, who might benefit from a series like that. It should be a, a good one for us, an exciting one. Well, this morning, as Brad said, we're going to be concluding our series through the New Testament book of Romans, and uh, we've entitled this particular section of this series, uh, Dedicated To. And as you know, we've been in the book of Romans for quite some time. We started this series back in February, and I hope that you are enjoying and have enjoyed this series as much as I know I have. I know it's been so fun to see God do a work in so many different people's lives as we've studied His Word and, and really found out more about who we are and, and much about who Christ is. And so as we've looked at this, really this incredible book that the Apostle Paul wrote to this church in Rome, it has been a lot of fun uh, for us as a church. Martin Luther put it this way about the book of Romans. He said, this letter is truly the most important piece of the New Testament. It is impossible, he said, to meditate on this letter too much or too little. It's that important. It's, it's that rich is what we've been finding. And as we've been journeying through this book, there have been different high points along the way. Uh, you may be totally new to church. And so there were some truths that really were kind of like mind poppers for you. Uh, truths that you just said, wow, I didn't know that about God. I didn't know that that could be possible in a relationship with him. Or maybe for you, you've heard the book of Romans before, but this series, as we've dug into it, it's allowed you to rethink and drill deeper into some truths that have the power to really be transformational in your life. We know this about this book of Romans. It, Paul's desire, his bottom line desire is that he would write a letter about who God is and about who we are so that it would lead people to know him better. So it would help people understand, okay, here's how I can have a thriving relationship with, with Jesus Christ. Here's how I can help people understand how they can know the God who so dearly loves them. That's his intent. That's his motivation. Before we dive into Romans chapter 14, our text for today, I want to take just about 60 seconds here, and I want to summarize for you some of those mountain peaks some of those high point verses that we've come to along the way, some of those themes that we don't want to make, we want to make sure we don't miss as we uh, move out of this series. We want to make sure that we've grasped these things. Uh, first, in, in Romans chapter 3, we saw this right away. We saw that we have an absolute need for God. By that I mean this, we understand that we live in the, in, in the reality that one day we'll stand before a living God and we'll give an account for our one and only life. And, and at that point in time, we won't be able to, to say to God, here's, here's how good I am. That really won't matter that much. And so we, we can't rely on that. And so we found out in Romans chapter 3, whoa, everybody, 
We're on the same playing field. We've all got this desperate need for the God of the universe in our lives. And then we got to Romans chapter 5, and we saw God demonstrate this extravagant love for us. It says this in in Romans uh, chapter 5, or this is actually in in Romans chapter 8. It's kind of an exclamation point of what we learned in chapter 5. It says that there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. In Romans 5, we found out that, wow, Christ, what did he do? He died for us out of his great love for us. God the Father sent his son, Jesus Christ, so that we might know him. Amazing, mind-boggling. Romans 8, whoa, if you're in Christ, no condemnation for you. Put your name in the blank. Absolutely none. You are declared right before God. What a truth. And then we got to Romans chapter 12. And it was as though in Romans chapter 12, Paul was saying, okay, now... In light of who God is, now you can live a certain way. In light of who God is, and it's so so fun to see this happen and hear stories on a weekly basis about how so many of you, you you realize who God is, maybe either for the first time or you just get reminded of it. And what does it do? It causes you to embrace a different kind of life. It causes you to live for him. Romans 12 says, in light of who God is, this is how I respond. Out of my deep gratitude for God. This is how I'm motivated to live. It was so fun Sunday night to be in this room and, and to hear our high school students sharing about their experiences um, uh, in the Dominican Republic and, and how um, the bottom line was this. They were saying, God, we, we realize who God is. And they, they were saying different things that were, it was very clear, they want to be generation changers. They're, they're saying, we're responding to who God is and, and we want to live a, a certain way. We want to be dedicated to the things of, of God in light of the greatness of who he is. Today we get to Romans chapter 14. And uh, today we're going to see again, this is a really important text. And so if you would with me, let's just go to the Lord and let's just pray. And let's say, God, would you lead us this morning? Uh, Lord, would you be our teacher and would you guide and, and would you direct us? So would you, would you pray with me? <clears throat> Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Lord, we thank you that your word is true. Um, we thank you that we can approach you this morning, and, and Lord, you can guide us and you can direct us. Lord, we're in awe this morning by who you are. I think of at the end of that 11th chapter when it was as though Paul put his pen down and he just worshiped you because of who you are. And so this morning, we just want to say, Lord, in light of who you are, God, we want to live dedicated to you. We want our lives to be about you and about your purposes. And so, Lord, would you lead us now, wherever we're at, whatever experiences, maybe from this last week, whatever worries we've got going on in our minds, Lord, we just pray in these next moments, Lord, we'd we'd be able to put those right at your feet because you can take them. And then, Lord, we'd say, Lord, would you guide us? Would the power of your Holy Spirit lead us this morning? And so would you just have a simple conversation with the Lord and would you just say, Lord, would you lead me this morning? Just go ahead and do that on your own. Lord, we love you and we trust you. And um, Lord, we don't, we don't offer that prayer flippantly, um, but we know when we approach you with a heart like that, God, you'll speak to us. You'll do those things. And so we approach you, the one true, the living God. And this morning we say, God, lead us now. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. <clears throat> well, I was reminded this week of the greatness of the mission that God calls the local church to. Um, it's a mission that's it's not a small one. 
It's a, it's a great mission. It's a, mis- it's a mission that we would be a people that we would lead others to grow in, in their relationship with Christ. That we would lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ where they, they understand who he is and they understand, okay, here's how I live with him. God gave this grand vision to the local church. We're going to see this morning that the Apostle Paul, out of his commitment to this grand mission that God gives the church, he's going to address an issue in Romans chapter 14. And while this issue might be on, on the specific end, it might not be the same for us. It's, it's different. The principle that we're going to see in Romans chapter 14, it's very applicable to us. You see, Paul noticed in the people that he was writing to, it was probably undeniable. He noticed that there was a problem emerging in the church. And so he addresses it. And, and it was important that he addressed it because he knew that if he didn't, there could be this grand mission out there for the church, this grand thing that God would call these people to, but they could get distracted. And all of a sudden, what was great and what was worth their time and their investment and everything, they could get distracted. They could go down a bunny trail on something that was not very important, something that might have seemed significant, but in the grand scheme of things, it's not an essential thing. And so in Paul's context, there was probably some little side conversations that were started. There were some people's feelings that were being hurt, no doubt. Conversations maybe were escalating even a bit. Like any group of imperfect people, as you can imagine, sometimes issues rear their heads. And if those issues don't get addressed, they can lead to uh, you know, people going off in different directions. People doing things that aren't, aren't mission critical at all. And the Apostle Paul is saying, you know what, I need to take a time out because we can't afford to get distracted because the mission is so great. Paul's saying, we can't afford to go down this bunny trail because God has called us to something so great. Paul's going to describe these, these top priorities, this grand mission. He's going to describe it as the kingdom of God. He's, and what he's doing, as you'll hear Paul refer to it that way, Paul's talking about what is most important. What are the things that are critical? What are the things that matter most to God? And as a result, they matter most to you and I. Now, if you've been a part of a church or you've been a part of a team or an organization or a family, I think that's everyone, right? You know this, that when you put different people with different backgrounds and different experiences, when you put them together, sometimes issues come up. Issues that to people on the outside, they look in and they go, I don't even understand that. That that doesn't even make any sense to me. But when you're in the thick of it, it kind of does make sense. You've maybe heard this statement before. Don't make a mountain out of a molehill. Or you've heard this statement. Keep the main thing the main thing, right? In other words, don't take small things and let them distract you from something that is so big and so critical for us as a church. Something that's so big and so critical for you and your family, for you as a, as a, a worker, as a, as a friend. You take it down to every different area of your life. In order for you to thrive, Paul's going to say, you've got to have some things right at the top top priority. And he's going to say, don't get distracted. I don't want you just to survive. Paul's going to say, I want the church to thrive. But in order for the church to thrive, it has to embrace its grand calling and it can't get distracted. I was at a wedding a few years ago and and we all know this. When you go to a wedding, you really go there for two things besides good cake sometimes. But you go there to see a couple get married and you go there to, to, to support them. 
Well, we're at this wedding, and uh, this is kind of minutes before everything would get going. And, and if there's one thing that a, a, a bride and a groom, that they want to be true about their wedding, it's, it's that their family not only get married, but they want their family to be unified that day, right? Well, before this wedding got started, a dispute erupted. Two brothers in the family started to argue over something that was surely not as significant as the wedding, the main event, the thing that everyone had come for, the top priority of the day. And this little thing that began as a little distraction before long, these two grown men went from a verbal exchange, very heated, to a full-on fistfight. We're talking a full-on brawl. The jarring sights and sounds of a real fight right there at the wedding. Now, I remember after the police had come and gone, yeah, and things had settled down, I remember sitting in the audience of that wedding and feeling very badly for the couple getting married, particularly for, uh, for, the, for, the, for the guy getting married, the groom, because these were his two brothers. He was the older, older brother. And I knew in his mind, no, if there's anything he wanted, they wanted, is that their families would just get, to get along, that they'd be able just to celebrate them getting married. But there began this thing that started as an insignificant issue, and it became a, a big distraction, a big major distraction from the celebration, from the priority of the day. In Romans chapter 14, Paul, he's following the leading of God. He's a great leader. Paul knew that something rather insignificant Rather insignificant things, plural, could distract God's people from embracing the most important thing. The thing that Paul would say, this is clear. This is what God has called us to. And so as the Apostle Paul looked at the diversity of this group, he had Jews and Gentiles in his context that he's writing to, he knew that the unity of the church was on the line. So instead of turning a blind eye toward it, the Apostle Paul addressed it. And he did it because of this. He didn't want side things to distract them from the kingdom stuff, from the most important things, from the kingdom priorities. I want to take just a time out here, and I, as I was thinking about this text, I want to applaud you as a church for a second. I've had the privilege of being in ministry here at Brookside for the last 13 years. And during that time, I've had a number of friends in ministry. I've gotten to know several different uh, men and women in ministry in our city and, and beyond. And, and oftentimes you'll hear someone talking about a, a side issue that their church is consumed with. It's a secondary issue, but it's consuming and it's dividing. And I thought to myself repeatedly, I'm so glad that our church keeps the main thing the main thing. I'm so glad that you're a group of people that you know God has called us to a great vision and you don't let side things get in the way of that vision. You are a group of people by God's grace that your commitment first and foremost is to the greatest mission of all. I applaud you for that. If we look at the very last chapter, the last sentence of the book of Romans, Paul makes a very telling statement about what's most important to God. He says this, he says, so that all nations might believe and obey. He's saying that's the end goal, that's the top priority, that all nations, that all people might believe, that they might obey, that they might know how to live and how to walk with Jesus Christ. Jesus, he summed it up like this. He said, this is it, this is a big thing. This is the top priority. This is the kingdom priority. Here it is. He said, I want you to go, I want you to make disciples, meaning this, I want you to lead other people into growing relationships with me. 
Phenomenal. High, high calling. Now, particularly for this week's um, text, uh, it's important to know the, the context. We're going to see um, that the context of, of what Paul is writing about is it's very important to understand. But before we do that, I want to give, give you one statement. I want to give you one statement that I think summarizes Romans chapter 14. Here it is. Seek unity by embracing kingdom priorities over personal preferences. The Apostle Paul wanted them to be very clear. He was saying, you know what? I want you to to seek unity, but you're going to seek unity. You're going to continue to be on the same page only by doing one thing, by making kingdom priorities over more important than your personal preferences. We're going to see in in verse 17, Paul's going to say the kingdom of God, it's more important than your personal preferences. So don't let your personal preferences get in the way. And this is a principle, honestly, it applies not only to the church, but it applies to your family. It applies to you if you're single. It applies to you in, in your marriage, as a, as a worker. All areas of life, this, this really applies. So here's the context. Here's the culture that the Apostle Paul was writing to. Really important for us to understand. This is Paul's audience. Paul is writing, imagine this, to two groups of people. He's writing to Jews and he's writing to Gentiles. And, and if you were to imagine these group two groups of people, imagine two groups that had very, very little in common. Their backgrounds are, are not alike at all. Many of the Jews that Paul is writing to that have come to faith in Christ, they bring with them, that with their faith in Christ, that, that they have a hard time saying, you know what, uh, I used to have these dietary laws, and I, I used to have these ceremonial practices, and they have a hard time saying, that's over. Instead, they kind of bring that with them. That's part of their background. It's part of who they are. They felt compelled to stick to these things, stick to these practices that they had grown up from really from early childhood with. Some of you might be able to relate to this. You do things maybe that your dad always did, that your mom always did. You don't even know why you do, but you just, you just do because you've seen it model for so long. On the other hand, the other part of Paul's audience, he's got many Gentiles in the audience And since they've come to faith in Christ, they still feel very strongly influenced by the godless background of their past, of their of their their cultural ties. And so they feel even repulsed. They're like, whoa, I want to stay completely away from anything that would remind me of my my pagan background when I didn't know God. Anything to do with idolatry, I don't want to have anything to do with it. For example, some Gentiles, if they saw somebody coming around the corner from the meat market carrying meat for, for dinner, they would say, wow, that just it would, boom, it would trigger in their minds. No, 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 no. I, it would be offensive. I, I, I don't even want to eat meat. Why? Because it reminds me that lots of times meat was offered, you know, it was sacrificed to an idol. I don't want anything to do with that, right? Uh, so they, they stay away from that. They bring that into this conversation. Their positions, they actually made a lot of sense based on their pasts. They were understandable, but they were not biblical mandates. And as we're going to see, Paul refers to these two groups as having, he calls it weak faith. That's how he terms it. And he doesn't mean that they're weak in their basic faith in Jesus Christ. No, he means that they're weak in their assurance that their faith in Christ permits them to do certain things that they used to be, um, you know, felt like they were uh, obliged to do, such as not eating meat. And then Paul's got this third group. The third group of people is made up of Jews and Gentiles both. 
And they understand, this group does, and they exercise their freedom in Christ. They know that since Jesus Christ has come into their lives, they're free from these restrictions. They no longer have to live under them. Paul refers to this group as being, you'll see it in the text, strong in their faith. If you were raised maybe in a church, um, uh, you might have a background where maybe the church, you had, a, you had a lot of freedom, you would say. Or maybe on the other side, you would say, I, wow, I came from maybe a family or from a church culture where there was a lot of restriction. A whole lot, maybe you would say. It was, maybe even you would say it was legalistic in nature. Look with me at verse 1. Paul writes this. He says, Accept those whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And then he's going to get into example number one. It says, one, one person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak eat only, eats only vegetables. The one who eats or yeah, the one who eats everything must not treat with contempt the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. And then verse 4, he says, who are you? Who are you to judge someone else's servant? Now notice what Paul is talking about in this passage. He's talking about disputable matters. Paul isn't talking about issues of doctrine. Paul isn't talking about things that they're very worth debating, right? I mean, or, or excuse me, they're not worth debating. They're like, they're settled. Key issues of our faith. No debate about it. Not disputable. For 11 chapters, we've seen Paul. He's worked through those things. Now Paul's moving on. Paul's moving on to things that he would say, these are non, non-essentials. Let me give you some examples of these. These are um, maybe things that are true in, in our day and age. These are things that are disputable. They're not black and white. Uh, one person thinks one thing, one other person thinks another. Neither one of them are really wrong. Here's one. How do you educate your kids? Many preferences on that. Multiple reasons behind each preference. Is it okay to work on Sunday? That might be one. Uh, how do you think about social drinking? Some people feel a lot of freedom in that. Other people do not. How do you dress? Uh, what's appropriate? Uh, these questions also, you may notice this, they change over time. Uh, there was a time when the list might have included, depending on your background, this will either resonate or you'll think this is from a foreign country. Um, you'll think, here, here's one, dancing. That would have been an issue. Playing cards, music style. Now, to some of you, that sounds, whoa, what, from what planet? To others, you go, no, no, I, I, I understand that. I've seen people get real excited about that. But here's the deal. Paul would say this. These are disputable matters. Disputable But here's what can happen, and it is so sad. They can create disunity. And the Apostle Paul is going to say to us, don't let small things, don't let personal preferences that you might even be passionate about, don't let personal preferences come over kingdom priorities. I can just imagine, honestly, the Apostle Paul writing chapter 14. I bet there was a time maybe when he just put his hands on his forehead and he just said, oh, church, Oh, please don't get distracted from what God has called us to. It's too grand. It's too great. Don't get distracted by these other things. Don't let these things that are less significant take you away from the most significant thing. I can see the Apostle Paul going up to one guy who isn't eating meat. He maybe would approach this guy or gal and he would say, well, why aren't you eating meat? The person would say, well, you know, every time I, I kind of think about eating meat, you know, it reminds me of my pagan background. And I think about, wow, man, I don't, I'm not an idol worshiper, but, but my conscience, it just doesn't, I just don't feel right about it. The Apostle Paul would look at that person and would say, 
Good choice. Apostle Paul goes over to the other person. He says, hey, why are you enjoying that ribeye steak? person says, well, it's the Lord. The Lord, is, he's God over all. He created everything. There is no other God but, but, but Yahweh, but God, God alone. That's why I'm, I'm doing this. My conscience is clear. Paul would say, good choice, good, good choice. Now, Paul could have done this. Paul could have said, well, let's just have two churches. Let's have like the Reformed Church of the Vegetarians over here, and then we'll have the, the First Church of the Meat Eaters over here. Right? But that would have, been, it would have been weird, right? Now, unfortunately, though, some people, uh, they don't em- embrace a good attitude on this kind of stuff. They don't adopt a good attitude at all. You may have noticed. They, typically, they don't have many friends, and they're very upset people. It's the attitude that says this, as one person put it like this, believe as I believe, no more, no less, that I am right and no one else confess. Feel as I feel, think only as I think. Eat what I eat and drink what I drink. Look as I look, do as I do. Then and only then will I fellowship with you. Paul says no to that attitude. Uh-uh, he says. Diversity is okay. Diversity in preference is great, but it cannot stifle unity. Unity around what God has called his people to, which is something far greater than those issues that can be tangents for us. In Romans chapter 13, Paul put it very simply. He said, here's how you deal with this. Just one word. He said, just the word love. He said, said, if if you'll just treat people how you want to be treated, if if you'll you'll just love people the way you want to be loved, these other things that are less significant, they'll work themselves out. Augustine, he put it like this. In essentials, he said, unity. Unity. We're together. Essentials. In non-essentials, liberty. It's okay. You're okay. You're okay. And then he said this, in everything, in all things, he said, charity. We serve each other. Seek unity by embracing kingdom priorities over personal preferences. You know, one of the things that I've really appreciated about Steve, our lead pastor's leadership, is that, and I think God has really honored this over the years, uh, it's very true of Steve. Steve majors on the majors. Steve has not let little other issues, small issues, uh, get in the way of this church being about the kingdom things that it's about. If you know Steve well, you know that there's one thing that's very, very important to him. It's the major. It's, it's this. Where are people going to spend eternity? It grips his heart more than anything else. Where are people going to spend eternity? You know what that is? That's a kingdom priority. As Paul's writing the book of Romans, he's saying this. He's saying, church, oh, please, church. He's saying, focus on what matters most. Don't get distracted by certain things that you might get passionate about. Don't get distracted by them. Keep your kingdom priorities straight. Verse 5, he, he goes on. He says this, one person considers one day more sacred than another. So we're, we're past food now. We're on to special days. Uh, another considers every day alike. Each one of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Verse 6, whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. And whoever eats meat does so to the Lord. See, notice that, that repeating thing. Where's it going? To the Lord, to the Lord, to the Lord. For they gave thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives for ourselves alone and none of us dies for ourselves alone. Notice what Paul is doing. He's directing them 
Paul is saying this, I want you to be oriented not about what matters maybe most to you, not about a side issue that you might get excited about, but Paul is saying this, the Lord. He goes back to it again and again, live to the Lord. We live to the Lord. We've died to the Lord. What's our top priority? Kingdom priorities. Why? Because they're the Lord's priorities. Here's his logic. Paul's logic is this, one day each one of us will stand before God. And I'm not sure how the question's going to be posed, but it's very clear in Scripture, we're going to give an account for our one and only life, as long or as short as it may be. We're going to give account, an account for it. And I think the question's going to be, be posed, maybe, that's maybe something like this. Okay, in, in your time on earth, Jeff, what were you most passionate about? Jeff, in your time on earth, I mean, what got you really excited? What moved you? What did you invest in? What did you pour your heart in? What were you passionate about? Church, what's most important to you? I think we're going to be asked that. We're going to be held accountable for the kind of lives that we live. And I, I wonder if Jesus will say to us, kingdom stuff or personal preferences? Kingdom stuff, like my purposes. Did that get your heart? Did that get you fired up? Or was it personal preferences? These side things. Well, I saw you. You spent like four years on what? You know? Paul knows that. That's where he's writing from. He knows, wow, we're going to stand before God. Look with me at what he says in in verse 10. He says, you then, why do you judge your brother or your sister? Or why do you treat them with contempt? For we will all stand before God's judgment seat. It is written, as surely as I live, says the Lord, every knee will bow before me and every tongue will acknowledge God. So then, each of us will give an account of our lives to God. There it is again. Paul is taking us back to that. He's saying, so live for what's top priority. You're going to stand before God. I'm going to stand before God. So what should I give my one and only life to? What should I give my best to? Paul says, oh, I beg you, don't get distracted. Live for the kingdom stuff. Live for kingdom purposes. A friend of mine was telling me about a conversation that he recently had with this gal, and she's 32 years old, and she has stage four cancer. She's very, uh, very, <clears throat> very close to death, and um, she's recently divorced, got two young boys, and, and she was telling this friend of mine, she said, you know, my, my ex-husband is dating a gal, I've got a, you know, a real serious girlfriend, it's leading to marriage, and, and she said, that's really hard for me. It's hard for me to watch, you know, for obvious reasons. It's, it's just hard, she said. She said, but I've gotten to the point where I've realized, you know what, I've got to put my struggles aside because I've got these two young boys. She said, I'm putting my struggles aside and I'm doing everything I can to show approval for this woman. Why? Because she's committed to the greater purpose. Now, would that be easy? No, it'd be incredibly hard and understandably so. But she's saying, you know what, there's a greater cause. So I've got to get past, I've got to get past me and I've got to put Bigger priorities, more important things. What's most important in this situation right now? I gotta put that ahead of my own. Now, she could have gotten all upset, spent a whole bunch of negative energy, told these boys this and that, but she said, No, 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 what's most important? It's, it's not how I feel, it's not how I think, it's, it's this, it's, it's you boys. So she put that above. Now, let me ask you a question Church, what's most important for us? Think about your, your, your own life personally. What is like most important for you? Verse 13, Paul does this. He, he goes now to the solution side. He uses that very strong word that we've seen him use throughout this, which means I'm about to sum it up. 
Here he goes. He says, therefore, here's the application. He says, therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of your brother or sister. Now, think about this for a second. He's saying, if someone's different than you, don't try to convince them to be like you in the thing that you just prefer. Don't waste time doing that because if you convince them and it's what they're not supposed to do, you're actually a stumbling block for them. You're causing them to go against their conscience, their conscience from the Lord. And so, so don't do that. Paul's saying, don't judge them either. Somebody's different. They have a different preference. They have a different idea, a different mindset on, on a particular issue. It's okay. You don't have to get upset about that. Paul's saying, don't get upset. Don't cause them to stumble by trying to change them to be like you. And don't judge them. I don't know if you've ever noticed this, but sometimes when, when kids in a family are fighting, a parent will walk up. I know I've done this with our kids before. They'll walk up to the kids and they'll appeal to the oldest kid, the one that, that is most mature. And so in our case, I might go up to Aiden, our oldest, and I might say, Aiden, I know that Easton, your young brother, I know that he's wrong, and I know that that's your toy, and I know that it's your turn, but just maybe even just this one time, can you just do what's best for, here it is, the family? Can you just do what's best for the family? And what am I doing? I'm, I'm saying, hey, because you're the, you're the oldest, right? You, you, I'm appealing to his maturity. Maybe I would build him up a little bit more than that. But, but what I say is, would you just do, in this case, what's best for the family? Paul is saying this. If you would just live with this banner of love, chapter end of chapter 13, live with love over everything, he's saying, hey, just in love, just do what's best for the family. Don't get uptight about your preferences. Uh, don't get up so uptight that you continue to, to kind of have quarrels with your brother or sister. No, no, he's saying don't do that. Now, here's the deal. God could treat us like little babies. God could treat us like babies and he could give us lots of rules. But he simply says this. He says, if you're a Christ follower, I've given you two things. I've said, love me and love people. And the rest, if you'll just love each other, it'll work itself out. He's assuming maturity, and he's saying this. Christ followers, church, he's saying, you know, I love how you're good at this. What's best for the family? What's the big picture? Where are we going? God says, keep my priorities over your preferences. Verse 17, he's summarizing it, and uh, he highlights right here in verse 17, this is the top priority. Here it is. And uh, if you major on the majors, Paul's saying, here they are. For the kingdom of God, meaning this, the top priority for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating or drinking, but it's of righteousness, doing what is right. It's a peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Because anyone who serves Christ in this way, here it is, kingdom priority is pleasing to God and receives human, reward, human approval. Let us therefore make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. It means that I'm, I'm looking at the person around, I'm saying, okay, what could lead to peace? What could lead to, to us mutually focusing on what's most important? And then he says, verse 20, do not destroy, here it is, top priority, don't destroy the work of God for the sake of food. All food is clean, but it is wrong for a person to eat anything that causes someone else to stumble. See what Paul, he's going back to it again, and he's saying, okay, there's a lot of things out there, but he's saying, you know what? It's the work of God. That's what's most important. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of anything that's a personal preference. I think the Lord would say to us this morning, the local church, the bride of Christ, Brookside Church, 
God would say, I've entrusted you with this amazing gift. I've entrusted you with this this responsibility that you get to steward. It's a joy to be able to steward this thing. You have the message. You have the potential to lead people into a growing relationship with Jesus Christ. That's what I want you to be about, Paul is saying. He's saying, you know what? Steward that gift. Steward it incredibly well. But in order to steward it, you can't get distracted. You can't have a lack of unity on things that don't matter. He says, no, instead, you seek unity together on what matters most. And in that verse, he said, what, is, what matters most? He said, the work of God. That's the kingdom priority. Seek unity by embracing kingdom priorities over personal preferences. And then in verse 15, he reiterates it again. Look at me at verse 7. Paul says, accept one another, then just as Christ accepted you in order, here it is, kingdom priority, in order to do what? What are we to do? To bring praise to God. In order to bring praise to him. Now you ask yourself, what are the priorities then of the kingdom? The the priorities of the kingdom are very clear. Righteousness, to do what's right, to to have joy, to have peace, to to live, to to bring praise to God. Now, why do we do that? We do that. What was the main thing? What did Paul end Romans with? He said, said, so all people, what did Jesus say? Make disciples of all nations. What's the reason why you and I go in a unified direction? We put kingdom priorities over personal preferences. It's because of the, it's because of the mission. Because of the, it's, it's so great so that all nations, so that all people might know. All types of people, all types of preferences. We were at the zoo yesterday afternoon with uh, some of Christina's extended, or her family. And um, it was really fun. We were in the aquarium part. And uh, we were also there with the rest of the population of the world, um, by the way. My <laughs> goodness, what a day. Um, but so we're in this aquarium, and, and I'm looking at these different uh, fish that are swimming around, you know? And I, I thought to myself, they're all different. And I, I thought, I mean, just different colors. And I mean, one had like five different fluorescents on it, and the next one was this color. I mean, just, and they're all swimming around. I'm thinking, why is that big one not eating that little one? And, and they were all just, it was amazing. And I thought to myself, you know what? If they were all the same, this wouldn't be a very appealing exhibit. We kind of walk up, and there are a couple like that. You walk up, and there's only one, one species in there, just cruising around, like, oh, cool, you're done, quickly, right? You walked up to this tank, I'll tell you what, everything was different. We stood there for a long time. Why? Because it was great, because it was so diverse. Paul's saying this, it's okay. You can have different preferences and still be in the same tank. I want you to be. That's how I made you. That's why it's a beautiful thing called the bride of Christ. But he's saying this, Romans 14, don't, don't let these side things Don't get upset about this and that. Focus on what's great. And that's what makes your unity so special. So I asked myself the question, how do you apply this text? I think there's two things. The first one is this. Do a self-check on your personal preferences. Do a self-check on your personal preferences. You might ask yourself even this specific question. Are my personal preferences getting in the way of what is most important? Think about this as a church. Are you, would you say you are actively engaged in seeing the church accomplish this incredible mission? There's nothing greater than we could give our lives to. Are you actively engaged in us accomplishing that mission in our church, in our city, in our world? Good question. As a parent, maybe kind of look at the fam. Take a little inventory and go, okay, oh, this is important to us. This is important to us. But just clarity, bring clarity to the issue. How will this play forward? What is most important for us? As a, in a friendship, how do, you, how do you apply this to a friendship? 
Students, how do you apply this to how you treat your parents? What is most important? What's your agenda? And then what's God's agenda? Where God would say, actually, I'm going to hold you to account. Like, I want want you to do this. Um, What does it look like? How does it flesh out? And then here's the second one. Just two things. I think that we do this next. We remember what our kingdom priorities are. We get crystal clear. These are the kingdom priorities. These are the things that are, are most important. Verse 17, Paul said, peace and joy and righteousness, doing the right thing. Verse 20, Paul said, the work of God, uh, the work of the church, the work of God. Verse 16, chapter 16, that all people might know, all peoples. Don't let small things kill great things. Don't let that happen. Our little, uh, on Monday, we were playing baseball and as a family, most of the morning, and it was kind of raining on and off, but kids were having fun, so we stayed out there. And, and our two oldest kids, you know, they, they get baseball, um, but our youngest, the three-year-old, he's brand new to it. And so he's, though he's old enough now that he doesn't like just to watch the other two play, and so he wants to be engaged. So he gets up to bat, and he doesn't know what to do. He'll stand with the bat. If you're the pitcher right over here, he'll stand with the bat like this. I mean, he, he doesn't know how to hold the bat, right? Um, so here's the thing. As we're kind of talking about how to play baseball and how to swing a bat, I'm telling him that there's really only one thing that's important because here's what he could do. I could give him a lot of advice. Some would be good, some would be bad. But there's a lot of personal preference. When you get up to the plate, um, you, can, uh, you could debate, okay, how do you, how do you hold your feet? How, how does that work? Some guys get up to the bat, some gals maybe too, um, tough ones. They get up to the bat and they spit, you know, over their shoulders. It's just kind of what they do. Uh, you watch the College World Series, you see this. Guys get up to the, plat- the plate and they'll, they'll, they'll tap around a little bit. It's kind of like a little, little thing they do. Some people want you to hold the bat like this. Others hold the bat like this. It's all, it's some of it's personal preference. Now when Easton, this three-year-old, gets up to the plate, I just say to him, Easton, there's just one thing you gotta do. Just one thing. I said, Easton, keep your eye on the ball. If that ball comes in, Easton, because here's what I know. I know if he sees the ball, and he has a bat, I know if he sees the ball coming, he'll hit it. It won't be that hard. He'll hit the ball. The Apostle Paul is saying to us this morning, church, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on the ball. Keep kingdom priorities over personal preferences. Don't let those things get in the way. Don't let that be a distraction. Don't let it be something that breaks unity within the church. Instead, he would say, keep your eye on the ball. Keep your eye on what matters most. When you think about your marriage, what matters most? As a single, what matters most? As a student, what's the top priority? What are the kingdom priorities that God has called us to? Apostle Paul would say, live with laser focus. Let personal preference, they're okay. They can go in this category. It's okay. But he says, oh, don't ever let personal preferences come over kingdom priorities, the things that God has uniquely called us to seek unity by doing what? By embracing kingdom priorities over personal preferences. Let's do this. Let's pray and let's just say, God, help us apply this truth. So would you, would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, um, I'm so grateful, Lord, for the way that you um, speak to us in your word. Lord, I thank you for these, these truths. Lord, I thank you for the fact that you don't just say, I want you to do a bunch of stuff, and, but you don't tell us how to. Um, and so, Lord, we're grateful this morning for your word. Lord, 
we're also grateful for the way that you've protected this church. And God, we would just pray into the decades, into the future, and we would just say, God, oh God, by your grace, would you help us to always be a church, a growing church that is focused on what matters most, that the kingdom priorities would be of most importance to everyone in the church. So God, we thank you and we praise you for your grace. Lord, we pray we would take this truth into a friendship, into a marriage, into the way that we lead our kids. God, whatever it would be as students, and God, we pray that it would sink deeply into us. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.